The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Tired of diesel buses? Want more cycle lanes or bus lanes? Which projects do you want Auckland Transport to work on first? They need your opinion. So head to haveyoursay.at.govt.nz forward slash RLTP to do just that. Consultation closes on 17 June. Get in quick. Talo for lover. I'm Madeline Chapman, editor at The Spin-Off. If you have the means, consider supporting our high-quality journalism by becoming a Spin-Off member. Sign up now at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. Sarah Gandy, and welcome to episode two of Breast Assured, brought to you by the Spin Off Podcast Network, together with Breast Cancer Foundation NZ. We're diving deep into the booby pool again today with a bunch of great guests to talk about changes. Soon I'll be talking to specialist breast care nurse Judith Beatty about what we should and shouldn't worry about when it comes to changes in our breasts. And then later in the show, I'll be joined by Dr. Aletha Taylor, who specialises in breast cancer surgery, she did mine, and also Nina Dara, who elected to have breast reduction surgery a few years ago. We'll be talking big changes as well as some of the mental health effects that go along with those changes. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get into it. Change can be tricky. Adjusting to change can be uncomfortable. Making changes can take courage. It can feel good too, but often it's when we instigate the change ourselves that we're really happy with it. When confronted with change, the most common reaction is resistance. That sense of... Ugh, that's not just for fun. Part of the brain, the amygdala, actually interprets change as a threat and releases the hormones for fear, fight or flight. Even your body is all about keeping the status quo. Sometimes it's the changes that can save us. Changes in our bodies can be pretty alarming. And, you know, if you notice a weird rash or a new lump or a bump, it's only natural to think, oh, well, hey, what's going on there? That's a good thing, because changes in your body are literally communication. It's your body telling you that something is happening, and it might require your attention. For me, it was finding a lump in my right breast. It's not something I'd noticed before, it wasn't something my partner had either, and that change is what sent me to my GP and eventually saw me diagnosed with breast cancer. The fear during that time was incredibly real. Anybody who has to wait on test results from a biopsy or has had to wait on any other kind of diagnostic type thing can tell you it is the waiting that gets you. It's brutal. The brain might not be a fan of change, but it is very good at coming up with a whole bunch of worst case scenarios. Once I had a diagnosis, that fear strangely subsided a bit. The more I met with medical professionals like my oncologist and breast surgeon, the more I felt like I had some control. I had decisions to make, treatment plans to finalise. There was something I could do. Suddenly, I was an active player in all that change, and that put me at ease. I now feel even more connected with my body. I'm aware of how it usually is, and any niggle or change is almost like a siren going off. That's partially because my cancer could reoccur at any time, and partially because I now truly appreciate the value of paying attention to those changes and acting on them. 
Funnily enough, ageing brings with it its own set of changes. That is to say, change is expected. It's normal. It's human. It doesn't just end with that wild ride that is puberty either. No, it goes on forever and never. Tummies get pudgier, boobs droop, other bits droop, skin gets dry, hair goes grey or just gives up and falls out altogether. It's a pretty fun time. So how do we know when change really is something to worry about? What if we want to make changes to our bodies? That's what we hope to answer today on this episode of Breast Assured. Breasts don't come with an owner's manual, sadly, which would be really great, and we should talk to someone about this. Uh, But that doesn't mean that they don't need a little bit of a tinker from time to time. And when in doubt, you call in the experts, like Judith, who's a specialist breast care nurse, an expert in boobs, if you will, and joins us now. Kia ora, Judith. Uh, Kia ora, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining us. So what are the most common things that you find women come to you with in terms of concerns or things they've found in their breasts? I think everybody knows that lumps shouldn't be there, although lots of women say, my breasts are lumpy. Yeah. So how am I ever going to know when I have a lump that's a concerning lump? That's a great question. How am I going to know? Know your normal. So if you know your normal level of lumpiness, then you will know when something different pops up. Because often, you know, you hear people say, I found a lump, but it's it's more likely to be something that's not breast cancer. Exactly. What could it be? So the opening statement I always use when someone tells me they've got a lump, nine out of ten lumps are not cancer. Okay. So straight away you just, like, bring down that level of that's, stress. That's a very nice statistic. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, much better. Okay. okay. Let's talk about the changes we don't need to be worried about. Mm-mm. Okay. During a monthly cycle, there are times when the breast might feel lumpy, but then after you have your period, the lump goes away. You don't need to worry. Cool. Okay. And it's the same with pain. So I always advise, you know, take pain relief, wear the supportive bra, just monitor where you are with your period. And if it goes away, great. You don't need to worry. If it's something that's niggling you and it's been niggling you for like a month, at that point, that's a really good time to go and talk to a doctor or a nurse, right? Like Absolutely. Yeah. So the key thing is anything that doesn't go away, so the lump that's there that you think, well, it'll probably go away when I've had my period, if it doesn't go away, you go to the doctor. If it does go away, great, and it's the same with the pain. Certainly people can get breast cysts, but cysts um, are fluid-filled sacs. You do need imaging to confirm that that little lump is a cyst. So it might be that you've had this diagnosis, that it's normal, and it just then becomes part of your normal. Yeah, got it. Okay. So for the changes that we do need to worry about, we've covered a few. We've talked about lumps. We've talked about unusual pain. What are some other things that might pop up that maybe someone might not realise or as a change and they're not sure if it could be a sign of breast cancer. Yeah, so there's a really rare form of breast cancer called inflammatory breast cancer, and it affects the skin. So there's no lump, but there's a change to the skin. And anyone that's breastfed a baby and had mastitis will say, it was just like mastitis. My breast was, it was red, it was hot, it was sore. And the actual texture of the skin changes, and we call it Peu de orange. So it becomes like the skin of an orange. Well, you've made it sound like a really nice French dish. I know. You've given it a real like, little chutzpah uh, for something so horrible. I know. Like, oh, yum. Uh, right, okay, so like an orange peel. And, and could it be a rash? Could a rash also kind of tick that box? 
It could. You know, doctors will always treat rashes and an inflammation of the skin with a traditional hydrocortisone to help the rash or antibiotics to get rid of a, a potential infection. The key thing is if those standard treatments don't work, you have to go back. And that's another really important role of being a breast nurse is giving people the courage to say, this is not normal and it hasn't got better. Yeah. I just want to mention a couple of other things we might see. Oh, yeah. So you might notice that your nipple has gone in. And that's another really important thing because people can be born with inverted nipples. And for them, that's their normal And that's why that phrase, know you normal, is so great. So when the nipple suddenly goes in, what's actually happening is that cancer that's growing is pulling stuff in, yeah? Um, Or you might notice that there's leakage. Now, 20% of women, when they squeeze their breasts, they can get some fluid to come out. Just anyway. And that's that's actually their normal. That's normal. That's normal. But if you take off your bra and you notice, oh, there's some blood-stained fluid in the bra, and the discharge isn't always blood-stained. Sometimes it's green, clear, brown, especially if it's only happening on one side. That is definitely a sign that you need a check. Uh, The other one that I know, because, of course, you know, we've got our change and check, nine signs and symptoms stickers, is swelling. Swelling of the breast or swelling in the arm, arm, but swelling of the breast might not be easy for everyone to notice. Is that likely something that you would see or feel? Either. Absolutely. And sometimes with swelling, it's also about that time when you go to put your clothes on. And that's when you notice, oh, this bra feels really tight or this sleeve under my arm feels really tight and that's when you you realise something's changed. Okay. And I I guess another key thing is when something happens on one side, it's more likely to be a problem. Normally if things are going to affect our breasts, we'll experience the symptoms on both sides. So that's another thing that can be reassuring. Great. But if in doubt, get it checked out. Uh, In terms of age, at what point should we be, you know, understanding how to look after our breasts? Yeah, great question. And there's definitely some programs that are happening in high schools, although we don't suggest people start the self-check process until 20. Breastfeeding, does that change what we're looking for and how we're checking our breasts? Absolutely. So... From the moment you're pregnant, your breasts start to change. So yes, some women will develop lumps during pregnancy. Um, some women can even get breast infections during pregnancy. And and my key teaching with midwives is that we have standard procedures. You know, if a, if a lump doesn't go away after you've massaged it or um, the infection doesn't go away after antibiotics, then that's when you need further investigations. Okay. Obviously, it's not just cis women that are coming in. You know, we have people that are transitioning or who are maybe non-binary but still have to be aware of their breasts and of breast health. Yeah, and I think that also ties in with the fact that men can get breast cancer. Absolutely. So 25 men a year will be diagnosed with breast cancer. So everybody needs to be aware of what's going on with with their chests. Um, If you are developing breasts or you're in the process of... um, taking hormones to stop breast growth, you still need to be aware that the hormones are put you at risk. Some forms of breast cancer love to feed off hormones. And so just the fact that you're on hormone therapy can put you at risk. 
So being aware of those changes, and there will be massive changes if people are transitioning. And that Breast Screen Aotearoa, who do the screening program, they're very inclusive. And when you have particular needs, you have the ability to request a double appointment. If I am uh, someone who's transitioning from female to male, so I've had top surgery yep. and I've been taking some male hormones potentially, do I still need to worry about things like mammograms or breast checks? Yes, they can never remove all of the breast tissue. And so even somebody that's had their breast removed still just needs to be aware if something changes in the scar line, um, any kind of changes at all, a, a lump, something that looks like the, the scar line starting to open up a little bit, um, that a scab's forming, like there's a pimple there, get all of that stuff get checked. All that checked. Obviously you, you work with a, a wide range of patients. Yes. Are there cultural differences with how we approach our breast health? I think there is a level of shyness that is certainly different with different cultures and how we feel about touching our bodies and talking about our bodies. It can vary enormously. And it also ties in with how you live. So I was quite surprised when I met women that said, I don't have a mirror in my house. Oh, wow. And the thing with finances, there wouldn't be a week that goes by when someone doesn't say to me, I have a symptom, but I can't afford to go to the doctor. Yeah. Ah, that's yes. tough. That it's is really, really tough because it's really important to get checked. Absolutely. I think also when you highlight with people, this actually is a priority. This don't just keep putting this on the back burner. You've got to prioritise this. You know, maybe you can borrow some money, um, speak with a practice manager, but you have to get to see a doctor in order to get to that breast clinic. Yeah, right. So you can't just go and see a breast specialist. You need a referral from your GP. Yes. Okay. Uh, let's do a little bit of myth busting, actually. There's so many myths. Underwires. There's sort of talk around them uh, blocking, you know, lymphatic flow or blood flow. Is there any truth to that? No. No. Okay. Uh, if you can hold a pencil under your breast, does that mean that you need a bra? Oh, <laughs> such an old school myth. <laughs> uh, I think it would be a personal choice. Yes. Uh, does wearing a bra to bed help keep your boobies, like, perky? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> And on that note, Judith, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It was really great chatting. Right, time for a break. And when we return, I'll be joined by Dr. Aletha Taylor and Nina Dara to talk about big changes, the surgical kind of changes. First, though, here's a memorable moment for you. At Intermediate, when I was about year seven or year eight, a group of boys I used to hang out with went around our classroom and rated all of our girls' boob sizes by a piece of fruit. So one of my friends got a grapefruit, one of my friends got an apple, I was a bit on the smaller side and was given a mandarin, and then my best friend got given a grape. And at the time, we were so absolutely gutted because our mums had just bought us new Bond sports bras and we wanted puberty to hit us harder and give us big boobs. But now I love the sentiment of being a mandarin. It means my boobs are perky, they're healthy, Mandarin's good for you, nutritious and juicy. And for some reason, I always think of this story and I think, who's laughing now? These guys try to label our boob sizes, but we've all got beautiful boobs. Breast cancer is the number one cause of death for New Zealand women under 65. More than 3,300 women are diagnosed each year. That's nine a day. 
and one of these nine is under 45. Early detection is your best protection. Breast cancer is most treatable when it's caught early. That's why you need to get to know your boobs, know your normal and get any changes checked out straight away. Checking your breasts is as easy as TLC. Touch, look, check. Breast Cancer Foundation NZ's pre-check app gives you an easy way to take control of your breast health. And they're here for anyone who has any questions or concerns about breast cancer. You can call the specialist breast nurses anytime on 0800 BC Nurse. That's 0800 226 8773. Breast Cancer Foundation NZ relies entirely on donations to keep its vital work going. Please support them to help make zero deaths from breast cancer a reality. Welcome back to Breast Assured. I'm joined now by two special guests. We have Dr. Aletha Taylor, who is a breast and melanoma surgical oncologist for Breast Associates and consultant surgeon at Auckland City Hospital, where she is the head of the breast unit, just casually. Uh, Aletha actually performed my mastectomy, so personally I'm pretty stoked to have her with us. We also have Nina Dara with us, who is an arts facilitator and had an elective breast reduction surgery last year, which she managed to squeeze in between lockdowns. Well done. That is tricky. Kia ora korua. Thank you so much for coming in to talk about boobs and specifically about big old changes to our boobs. Let's start with um, your relationship with breasts. So first of all, other people's breasts and then maybe your own. Nina, I don't know if you're going to have a relationship with other people's breasts. <laughs> and that's okay. That's okay. Okay. But Aletha, what, are you, what how would you define your relationship with breasts? Well, um, it keeps me employed. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I've got an interesting one because obviously as a breast surgeon, I spend pretty much all day, every day looking at other women's breasts. Mm -hmm. So I see a spectrum. Um, and I see a lot of women's interactions, for want of a better term, with their breasts because it can be a pretty complicated, complex reaction and relationship. So I see it in the setting of cancer, I see it in the setting of breast infections and breastfeeding and the whole gamut. Um, from a personal perspective, my mum's had breast cancer a couple of times and so sitting in the background there is the understanding of how it can feel when your breasts sometimes are doing things to you that you're not so happy oh, with them doing yeah. and that can kind of create a, a weird overlay. Interesting. Okay. Well, that was the medical answer. What about the, um, I feel good about my boobs. They're just as perky as I've always wanted them to be answer. I'm 44. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you do you, boo. But, is, you know, are you happy? Yeah, I'm happy. Great. Yeah. Now, Nina, I'm really intrigued by your relationship with your breasts because I guess uh, you had quite different breasts. Was it a, a year ago? Yeah, it was one of those funny things that I've always had large breasts and they just kept on getting bigger and bigger and bigger and I was like this is ridiculous and to the point that I just kind of realized I wasn't buying new clothes anymore I wasn't every time I'd walk past like catch my reflection I'd be like pulling my t-shirt out or like and then yeah and then after I had the surgery it was literally a weight off my shoulders I didn't realize how much pain I was in I thought I was sleeping weird I was like you need to get some new pillows your neck is killing you like and so I didn't even put two and two together that it was because of the sheer weight that I was carrying. So I really want to talk about the connection between mental health and breasts because I think you, you kind of touched on it there. Uh, but for you, Nina, how was your mental health? You were saying you were seeing yourself in the mirror and the window or whatever, but how was your mental health before you had the surgery? 
Yeah, it has such a big impact because lots of people be like, oh, you know, your neck, your back, oh, you must be in so much pain. I was like, oh, yeah, it I is. just did that five minutes yeah. ago. Yeah, great. Yeah, yeah, but then yeah. it's like, oh, yeah. actually, I hate this. I hate this so much. I hate the way I look. And it wasn't until after I had the surgery I was like, whoa, that was really getting you down. And it was sort of something I'd kind of always assumed I wouldn't be able to get or have, so I kind of pushed it aside. And then it took me probably, I've probably been saying it for about 10 years, being like, oh, I'd really like to have breast reduction, I'd really like to have it done. And then I finally went to my GP, and it wasn't until I actually started like talking to her about it that I got started getting really emotional, and I was like, oh, this is having a big toll on me, and this is actually something I really, really want, and it's not just, you know, vanity, because it felt... So frivolous and silly to say, being like, oh, well, you know, they're just a bit big, aren't they? And, you know. Yeah. Do you know, I I really identified with that because I remember talking to uh, Aletha, my surgeon, when we were talking about my mastectomy and reconstruction. And I felt there was a level of vanity around worrying about what the scars were going to look like. Or And I remember saying to Aletha, oh, I'm not worried about the scars. And you said, I am. <laughs> I'm worried about the scars. So when you're working with patients, uh, how, how does mental health play a part in that? Work. I mean, mental health is a is a huge component. So obviously, I come to it with a bias on the on the cancer front. Mm. But it's really interesting. I often see patients who have had breast reconstruct reductions or are thinking of it, or they had they've had augmentations and they're thinking of it. And now a lot of women express exactly those feelings and those thoughts of feeling like it shouldn't be something they're worried about. The question of it, it's just about vanity, and it absolutely is not. I mean, we spend lots of time improving what we can do in the cancer treatment space, and we wouldn't be bothering going off learning those skill sets to do things in different ways in order to optimise cosmetic outcome as part of cancer treatment if that wasn't really important. Okay, let's talk about the uh, decision-making around changes. So, you know, for some people, they might not get to make that decision, but Nina, you did. You got to make a decision that you wanted to make a change. What were the things you were weighing up and were were there things that kind of scared you a little bit when you were making that decision? No, I think once I made up my mind, I was like, let's do it. But I'm interested to know, once you'd made the decision, you're like, right, let's go. I wonder about getting to the point of making the decision. Mm. That's probably where there's a bit more going on and, and weighing up is getting to that point of going, okay, this is what I want to do. Yeah. Because you were 29 when you had surgery. Yeah. How long do you think before that were you oh, not happy? I would would be 10 years that I would have been, like, thinking about it. Like, my best friends remember me saying it, like, the first year of uni, being like, oh, you know, it would be something I would like. And then – but – just the fear. I think you hear all the stories as well. And if you do a bit of research online, you know, it's, oh, it's really hard to get through the public system. And if you do it privately, it's so expensive and it's going to cost you, you know, thousands of dollars. How much did it cost, if you don't mind me asking? Well, I managed to get it through the public system. Ah, to get it through the public system with this, with there some boxes that you effectively had to tick? Yeah, it was a strange sort of process. So I went to my GP and then they, she was like, yep, I'm happy to put you forward for a referral. And then she was like, oh, you have to send some photos. We've got to send photos across with the referral. So that was the first time my flatmate took them off me and from my like neck down. Hang and on, I, sorry, your flatmate. <laughs> my flatmate because what? it was during COVID. So we couldn't have <laughs> gone back into, she's like, oh, I don't want you coming back into the to the practice. So can 
can you send some uh, photos? How long have you been flirting with this person? Well, before? luckily she's my best friend. But. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I'm like, this is a this is a lot. I was like, look, this this is what we need to do. Yeah. Let's get it done. And she took this photo of me, and I think that was like that was the first time I'd actually like seen my breasts for what they were, and I was like, oh my gosh, they are ginormous. I think I was wearing like. A pair of tights. I was like, they're almost touching the waistband. I was like, oh my gosh! I I actually realised I don't think I'd looked in a mirror from my neck down <laughs> ever. Wow! And but I still can, like applaud you because I think there's some people that you know might find themselves in that position where they feel like they want to do something, but then taking their top off in front of their flatmate, even if it is a best friend, even that is a step too far for some people. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's a huge roadblock. So well done for being like, nope. I'm yeah. taking charge of the situation. Um, I want to talk about prophylactic surgery really quickly, Aletha, because, you know, some people will choose to have their a breast, like a mastectomy, yep. without a cancer diagnosis purely because of BRCA, the BRCA gene. How common is that in New Zealand? We run a high-risk family history clinic um, through Auckland Hospital, and, you know, we could easily fill a clinic uh, every couple of months with... Um, people with high-risk family histories or confirmed wow. BRCA mutations. So, so, so if, I'm, if I'm listening to this and I'm like, hang on, wait, what How, What do I do? How do I do this? If if I have no idea if I have the BRCA gene or not, where would I start? Uh, well, firstly, talk to your family. So see if you can get a good idea of who in the family has been affected with cancer and at what ages. And then go and see your family doctor and they can refer you through to a breast clinic. Um, we will often then, uh, depending on the family history, refer you through to the genetic service. Got it, okay. Um, the regional genetic service to get things formally assessed and go from there. Cool, okay. Um, myths and mis- misconceptions. Was there anything, Nina, that you thought was a thing and then once, you know, going through your surgery found out, did you th- were you worried that you were going to lose feeling in your boobs from having surgery or anything like that? Yeah, well, I guess the risk is like they, they take the nipples off, off they go, and they put them back on. And do they just put them to one side? Put them on ice? I don't know. <laughs> well, it depends. <laughs> depends. <laughs> depends on depends on how much of a reduction you need to do. So I'm once again disclaimer speaking as a non plastic surgeon, but it's all about how far you have to shift the nipple from where it's currently sitting to where you want it to be. Oh, okay. Right? So you're you're worried about your nipples. Yeah, and scarring, I think, as well, because they were like, well, you know, it depends how you scar on the rest of your body. So you're like, oh, my God, I've got loads of scars. But, mm. yeah, it's all been a bit of bio-oil and it's all been A-OK. Your body is amazing. It is incredible. Mm. Aletha, do you find people come to you, patients come to you with weird things that they've heard or questions, worries that have no basis in science but just like to do the rounds? Yeah. <laughs> I think we're seeing a lot of evidence about that oh, at the moment. There's a lot of that. <laughs> there's a lot of that going around. Uh, what, but what, specifically in the boobs department, though, <laughs> what, um, what do you get? One of the common scenarios is, and I think this is for a lot of different cancers, people worry that having a biopsy will make the cancer progress faster. Oh, yeah. So that's that's something that a lot of people have got concerns yeah. and fears about. That's probably the biggest and uh, that's the most common one. I think I'm quite aware of scaremongering and, you know, a cancer and cancer treatment can sound really scary and I would hate for that to ever be a roadblock for someone to seek any kind of treatment or diagnosis in the first place because that is absolutely not what we want. Uh, so, Aletha... Is there is there something you can say around breast surgery in terms of its safety and the process and the experience to make sure that people know that it's something they can do and it, and it will be okay? 
The first thing I'd say is that the sooner you get something checked out and the sooner you can get it fixed if it needs fixing, the easier that solution is going to be yeah. and the lower key it's going to be. Um, the reality is when it comes to surgery, there's lots of different options and people like me spend years perfecting different techniques to get the best possible outcome in any situation. Um, and in different places around the world, these breast operations are done as day-stay surgery. Yeah. So we don't do that here. We tend to keep people in hospital at least overnight. But most women are surprised by just how good they feel at the end of an operation. And I once had one patient who woke up in the middle of the night, summoned her nurse because she was convinced I'd forgotten to do part of her surgery because it wasn't <laughs> sore enough. That's, oh, I can actually identify with that because sometimes the drugs are great. Uh, but, yeah, that's, I, I think that's helpful. She had only had Panadol. That was the thing. And your experience of surgery is right at the far end yeah. of what we can do and do to people in that scenario. If you're talking about simple breast surgery, um, be it mastectomies and partial mastectomies or reductions, without some of the bigger reconstructive techniques, they're actually often really straightforward operations where patients often just need a little bit of pain, a little bit of paracetamol and not too much more. Wow. That and there's nice. always more pain relief if you need it. Yeah. So, Nina, you're young. Well, you know, you were, <laughs> I'm about to say you're relatively young. That sounds like a backhanded compliment and everything was like, you're young. At 30, you're young, especially in the world of cancer. And so, you know, since having surgery and maybe being a bit more breast aware, has it kick-started your own self-checking? Yeah, I think it has. It's definitely made me more aware of it and kind of conversations with friends. When you say conversations with friends, how does that go? Like, are you having a wine and you're like, hey, by the way, how are your boobs? Yeah. What well, would be great. Yeah. Great. <laughs> cool. Yeah, a friend of mine has worked in advertising, so she worked on the breast cancer app. So that was a really good tool and a good toy to play with, especially when she was developing it and asking lots of questions. And then it's just kind of gone from there, really. And it's just, yeah, I guess we're pretty open and have these... Yeah, we talk about boobs a lot. <laughs> uh, and on that note, I think, I mean, God, I've learned a lot, but thank you so much, uh, Aletha and Nina, for your insights. From com I know completely different experiences with boobs and changes, but uh, I feel like we've cleared a lot up today. And also, I feel like I need to put my nipple on ice for some reason. So <laughs> thank you so much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> That is us for today. A huge thank you to you for listening to Breast Assured and also to our wonderful guests, Judith, Aletha and Nina. High fives all around. In the next episode, Judith's going to come back to teach us how to do a self-check for changes in our breasts. As I'm sure you'll figure out by now, self-checks are a crucial part of caring for our boobies. So you won't want to miss it. And I will see you then. Bye. Breast Assured is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network in partnership with Breast Cancer Foundation NZ. It was hosted by me, Sarah Gandhi. It was produced by Te Aihe Butler with senior production by Natalie Wilson and Jane Yee. Visit breastcancerfoundation.org.nz for breast health awareness information. Follow them on at PinkRibbonNZ and download the PreCheck app now. All the links are in the podcast episode description. Kia ora e te iwi, te Aihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. 
the Spin-Off Podcast Network.